Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Mizell. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Mizell, and my guest today is Todd Palmer who is the president and chief rule breaker for Extraordinary Advisors. So I've never had the opportunity to speak to a CRB before. So thanks, Todd, for taking the time to talk to me. Absolutely, Ari. Thank you for having me on the show. So uh, let's start with a little bit of background. Uh, How did you get started on your entrepreneurial path? Uh, Well, my entrepreneurial path started when I was 27 years old, and I opened my first main business which was uh, Diversified Industrial Staffing, which, which is a company that still is, is in existence today. And it uh, provides skilled trades labor talent throughout the United States for hard-to-fill sectors like welders, CNC skilled machinists, plant managers, pretty much anybody who makes something. Um, the, ir- the irony thing is that I started the business basically on credit cards for $15,000, uh, the original business plan required one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which I could not find because you know everybody wants to invest in a twenty seven year old twenty seven year old starting a service based business, and um, we were really successful and fortunate that we were able to grow the business to being a six time Inc five thousand company, and now um, I've now moved on and I'm in a chairman's role with a diversified team. There's a team in place that runs the company, and now uh, my passion and focus is around extraordinary advisors. And so, what does that look like day to day for you? You know, every day is different. Um, primarily from a, from a day-to-day piece, I, as I check in with a diversified team, see what they need, see what's going on there, I spend the rest of my time uh, doing uh, speeches, spending my time coaching clients, and, and getting the message out about how people are able to you know, grow and change their businesses as the CEOs and the leaderships, leadership people by essentially changing themselves and shifting their mindset away from scarcity and flipping it into abundance. And uh, the thing I'm most excited about that I've been working on is my speech that I've been giving as a keynote for failing forward into success and the mindset around that. Uh, And so why, I mean, it may seem like a really broad question, I guess, but why is, is talent like such a problem. Why it's it's hard for companies to find them, train them, keep them, right? So, but yet we have unemployment. So, wh- like, wh- where, where, like, how do we sort of navigate that, or how do you help companies navigate that now? For sure. And the first, the first thing I do is I kind of explain to companies, and specifically CEOs and HR professionals, how we got to where we are right now. So, the country, the United States, is at a forty-five year low when it comes to the labor participation rate, which is not something that's typically talked about in your major news sectors. CNN doesn't talk about it. They talk about the unemployment. The labor participation rate is at a 45-year low. Secondarily, the country is considered at full employment if you do look at the unemployment data. So the country is running, you know, 3.5%, 4%. So pretty much anybody who wants to be working is currently working. You've got then the baby boomers, which are the largest sector that are leaving the, the employment space. So you've got your those folks leaving. And then your highest unemployment category is your millennials, 18 to 29-year-olds, and that's running nearly 13%. So if you put it on a continuum, you've got the lowest number of people working in general, tack on the boomers that are the quickest group leaving the party, and then you've got the millennials who are not entering yet into the party. So that's why we have the main problem we have right now is companies cannot find enough good talent 
to do the work that doesn't even go into the the conversation of the work that's available versus the qualified the qualified or lack of qualified people to do the work that companies need to have done. Well, and so what what do you do to to alleviate that problem? Well, when I work with with companies through extraordinary advisors, I will sit down and I will help them lay out a plan to go out and, and attract the right talent. And that always starts with figuring out with that company who they are and who they're not. And because every company for an employee is an acquired taste. We've been doing that. We know that on the recruiting side for 23 years, that not every company is a great fit for every employee. So the company, first of all, has to figure out who they are. Then we put a marketing, essentially a marketing plan in place for them to attract the proper talent that they're looking for. Third, we then create, have them be able to get the messaging throughout their organization, almost like Tony Shea did with Zappos years ago in creating a culture where people want to be there, a culture that recruits for itself and it is not dependent upon being reactive by just posting jobs on you know, Indeed or Monster or Craigslist. And ultimately, then we create a, a recruiting uh, platform for them to then run all this through, take them through the vetting and screening process so they're picking the right people, knowing full well that you know, a, a good millennial employee will only probably be with you for less than five years, probably really less than three years, unless you're able to keep them engaged. And how you keep them engaged, especially for the millennials, is you got to create a culture and an environment where there's a team-first approach as well as sometimes even over-explain that individual's contribution to that dynamic. Whereas, you know, when we're placing machinists or welders for diversified industrial staffing, they're more skill set based. They're more walking into a place and they can just do the work versus having to really understand the value of doing the work and how that overall contributes to the bottom line of the organization, as well as the health of the teams that they're participating in. So... Where, where are you seeing some of the most opportunity uh, for new jobs and people's or skill sets? I forget jobs, more like skill sets. Where, where do you see more opportunity for skill sets? Yeah, I, first of all, let me, let me agree with you. Yes, forget the jobs. You know, our, our, <laughs> the current president is saying we need to bring more jobs. We flat out, we have plenty of jobs. We don't have plenty of people to do the work for the jobs we have. And it, it really can t- track it across several different sectors. First and foremost, we see it with the diversified team, there's not enough skilled trades talent out there. And when I define skilled trades talent for manufacturing, it's welders, it's CNC machinists, it's quality techs, it's anybody who's comfortable working with their hands. And there's just not a next graduating class of that at a a junior college or university level of those people. And that number is just going to get worse. And, you know, for those of us who like to have our things made for us, like our cars and our furniture, those people, those prices will probably go up without the infusion of automation, without the infusion of robots and other pieces. That's just the reality. The kids today are being driven, still driven towards a university environment. And you can go out and, I mean, I know a plumber who makes $125,000 a year working with his hands and he has no college debt and he's 32 years old. I mean, that's a, there's, there's great opportunities in that space. So you've got the, the manufacturing skilled trades sector. You've got the home-based skilled sector, HVAC, plumbing, electrical, plenty of jobs there, not enough people for those jobs. Take it down the white-collar path. There are plenty of opportunities in IT, plenty of opportunities in nursing, plenty of opportunities in accounting. My son is an accountant. He's 27 years old. He was able to go out and secure himself with less than one-year experience, a $25,000 a year raise simply because... He's very productive, he's very focused, he's a hard worker, and he's under the age of 30 years old, and the firm needs to get their next, their next tenure track in line because the average, 
the average American accountant is 60 plus years old. The average American welder is 60 plus years old. So the, the jobs that 25 years ago, they were saying there, there was a saturation and plenty of talent for, that's not the case anymore. But I mean, and there, there's no concern about, I mean, outsourcing with that kind of stuff and that those jobs might not be there. So some of the stuff certainly can be done by the freelancer nations. Some of those jobs certainly can be done in those sectors. And, you know, they say, I just saw a stat the other day that 35% of today's workers either want to be or are currently doing freelance work, which is great, but you still need that. You still need the degree in accounting to do the freelance work. You still need the HVAC training to come in and repair that stuff. So whether you're going to a company or whether you're going to an individual to get those skills accomplished for your, your business or for your family and household, there's not enough trained professionals in all those sectors, regardless of whether they're working independently or working for a company. It, it almost sounds like you need to go even further back and, and start only almost recruiting before they even go to college so that they go into the right programs, that they get interested and then they get on these tracks. Well, it, 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 I think you have to go back to the elementary schools. You have wow. to go that deep. And there, there are countries on the globe that are doing that. If you go to Germany, Germany puts you on a one of two tracks, three tracks. You're either going to go in the military, you're going to go down the skilled trade sector, or you're going to go to university. Those are the three choices you have as a young person. Granted, that's a little, you know, a little militaristic in thought process, but there are countries that are simply driving their young people to one of those three sectors because that's what the data points are telling them. And you kick it down the path of people think, you know, I'm based on Detroit, Michigan. We, we, for years, were just, we lived off of the automotives. And people would not, you know, people are saying to their children nowadays, well, there's, you know, there's layoffs in automotives. There are, you know, there's not enough jobs in automotive. There's not enough skilled trades work in automotives. That's simply not true. There's such a dearth of misinformation of what is going on within the current job sector and the way parents are guiding their children today's is simply outdated in a lot of a lot of cases. You know, going back to my son, there are plenty of jobs for an accountant. Well, and, and, and what led him to become an accountant? I'm sorry, what? what led him to become an accountant? You know, it, that's a great question, and I've asked him that. Uh, I think part of it was growing up in an entrepreneurial household with his father. I was a single parent. I raised him by myself from the age of two. And, you know, it, you know you're an entrepreneur. You know that there are... There are good years and there are bad years and there's instability being an entrepreneur and there's the highs and lows of being an entrepreneur and the families take those rides with him. I think he, you know, if he were to really be honest in answering the question, he would say, you know, I wanted something that was stable. I wanted something that was predictable. I wanted something that was going to take care of me and his future family with, with, with a sense of certainty. The ironic thing is, is uh, he just recently reached out to me and we're having a conversation in a week about him actually opening up his own accounting practice. So it, it you know, sometimes the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It just takes a little longer to get to the ground. <laughs> um, and so what, what's a big challenge for you in your business right now? Well, for our, for our recruiting company, it's, we've got plenty of jobs. We can't find the people. And when it comes to the, the work I'm doing for extraordinary advisors and, and helping CEOs and leadership teams, the biggest challenge that, that I face there is leaders who struggle with a high sense of self-awareness. And what I mean by that is a lot of companies will reach out to me and, hey, we, we really like to engage you for your services. We have all these problems within our organization. We're either not growing quick enough, we're not growing at all, or even we need to do a little bit of a turnaround. Will you come in and help our teams? And what I inevitably find in more than half of the cases are the, the CEO or the key leaders want someone else to do the work for them. They, they, are, they have blinders on. They have... Um, you know, think about the Jahari window concept. Their blind spots are large, 
And they lack that sense of self-awareness. And it takes a lot as somebody comes in and does the coaching and consulting to turn those around so that they can recognize and see that in order to change an organization, the leadership team often has to change itself. And sometimes there are people on the leadership team that in a year or two after working with us, they're not going to be there anymore. And especially if they're their long-term relationships or their friends or their family members, the, the key decision maker, typically the CEO or the entrepreneur, has a lot of internal pain points around that. And they struggle mightily with either changing themselves or potentially having to change out key leaders. And that, that, that fear-based thought process creates a lot of inactivity. Oh, well, and so what are, you, what are you able to do to sort of help that? You know, typically what I have to do is I have to get the key leaders, typically it's one person, the CEO or the entrepreneur, to, to figure out what is their passion? Why are they in business? And one of my favorite authors is Simon Sinek. And I take them through a lot of this, the work that Simon's put out there to help them figure out why are they doing what they do? And is that pa- purpose and passion greater than their fears? And if it is, then I've seen massive transformation within organizations, organizations that were, were losing money now are making a ton of money, organizations that were struggling to figure out who their culture was and who a good employee fit for them was. They're able now to do that. But it always starts with figuring who we are, what is our purpose and passion, why do we do what we do, and then how do we do that, that piece. And it can happen from anything from, again, I've seen it from manufacturing to law firms to professional services where once the leader is aligned with his or her purpose and their passion, that then that's where the transformation takes place. The reflux of that is when they're trying to be all things to all people and they don't know who they are, they don't know why they do what they do, those changes often take a lot longer to, to be implemented and take place. Yeah, and, that, and so that makes a lot of sense to me. And the reason I'm like probing on that for, for people listening is that uh, it, you know, you're coming in as an outsider in some ways and you're basically saying like, we're gonna, I mean, maybe not directly, but like we're going to make your team better. You have a need that you're not re- meeting, you're not getting the right people. And I think that there's probably, as you sort of point out there, that people can, can get very defensive about that. You know, it's my team, right? So, uh, Oh, for sure. And that's that, the bottleneck is at the top of the bottle. I mean, that's a Vern Harnish, uh, you know, catchphrase, but that's typically where it goes. And the question becomes, you know, are your, your company struggling? You've got this, this team working for you. Who picked them? Well, I did, Todd. All right. And who manages and holds them accountable? Well, I do. And, and, and typically once they kind of, instead of look outward at what's not working with their team, but they reflect back and say, wow, I'm really, you know, I am sometimes the inhibitor to growth. I'm sometimes the inhibitor to success. We'll do a 360 leadership team evaluation of the key leader. And it's often discovered that the team is great, but the leader is putting in roadblocks. I mean, entrepreneurs are classic problem solvers. I was the same way. And I often will, will tell them some of the, the awful decisions that I made in my youth. And you know, I, I love to solve problems so that if I want to be a firefighter, the quickest way to get back to work is to start a fire. Counterproductive, not very helpful, but I would I would exhibit that behavior and my staff had to call me out on it. Yeah, uh, for sure. And then on the other side of that, how are you, where are some of the better places that you're going to find talent now? You know, always the the number one source that I say to companies is your internal staff. Yeah, the referral. Who, you know, know, the referral and, and, and go to your staff and they'll say, well, uh, you know, I don't know what to do about this and I don't know what to do about that. I'll say, well, your typical, your typical recruiting fee is going to be 25% of the salary. So just 
think of that as kind of your high mark. Your typical Indeed ad or your Monster ad is going to be anywhere from four to $800. If you really put together a, a classic recruiting game for your staff and you offer a $2,000 bogey to somebody to, who refers great people, one, you're creating a, a fun culture. Two, you're, you're pulling from people you already like, trust, and enjoy working with and know who you're bringing in. Three, we, I mean, we're known by the five people we hang out with the most. If you've got a great employee, why not at least interview one of their great connections, one of their great peers, one of their great friends? It doesn't cost you anything. And again, you only pay the, the, the success fee upon uh, a successful hire. That's the typical, uh, a really great way to go. Certainly, uh, other great sources are Indeed. Um, LinkedIn, it, but those require a lot of time and effort. And sometimes people don't have those to that time and effort available. And I certainly know that there are ways to, to automate the processes and, and do some different things depending upon the skill level, which you need to hire. And so I often say to companies, you know, ultimately you want to build a multi-tier approach, your C-level and your executive people, you want to hire this way, your entry-level people where you can automate a lot of those, those upfront time wasters. You want to do it this way. And then you create a, kind of a, a middle part for those, those other positions. And all, the, biggest, the biggest thing that I find is the most frustrating that doesn't allow people to hire quickly is, again, the organization. The average hire time for a company is between 30 and 35 days from interview, not from a recognizing that there's an opening. So companies will often just think there's plenty of people out there and, rec- and find out, wow, you know, we're, we're picking the the bottom of the barrel, the least of the, the people. And the guy we interviewed a month ago is already gone. Great people. I mean, this is a candidate-driven market right now. Yeah. And, that's, that's, and that's great to know. So the last question that I always like to ask uh, on these interviews, Todd, is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? I think to be more effective, the first thing I'd say to anybody is to consider yourself as much of a lifelong learner as you possibly can. Approach the world as much as you can with a sense of curiosity. Seek first to understand, ask questions, go out into your your peer groups, your friends, your family, your employees, your teammates, and and find out more about them as people, find out more about them as what they're passionate about and what they're interested in, and also find out how do do they see you being a better version of you and and create that trusted, trusted network. Secondarily, you know, for entrepreneurs, an entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur at risk. Join groups like a EO, a YPO, a Vistage. They're they're all you know they all have their strengths. Be part of a, a tribe. Create that environment, and recognize where you know where your deficiencies are, and have that people that group of people to support that. I think lastly, what I'd say to specifically to anybody who's an entrepreneur who's struggling on how to grow their businesses, understand your numbers. Know where you make money. In our recruiting business, it's really clear. It's billable. It's dollar per billable hour we can create. And so that's what we're measured on. And we focus on so much on the margin, not about the top line revenue. And staffing is classic for, you know, I have a $50 million staffing company and I make 1% to the bottom line. That's not a real profitable business. Yeah, it's fun to go to your, your cocktail parties and tell your friends, yeah, I own a $50 million company. But the reality is you're killing yourself and your exposure and your risk is super high and you're better than making peanuts. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Todd, thank you so much. Where can people find out more about you and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. All right. The best place, to, if anybody wants to reach out to me, is through my website, extraordinaryadvisors.com. 
Uh, my email is Todd at extraordinaryadvisors.com. And anybody who mentions that they heard me on your podcast today, I'm happy to give a 30-minute free diagnostic to whatever they're going through, whether it's hiring challenges, whether it's growing up, growing and scaling up a business, or even business turnarounds. Because again, I appreciate that the opportunity that they gave of their time to listen to your podcast today, and I'd like to be able to give that that give back to them. Well, thank you for that. That's very generous, Todd. And I also, everyone listening, I can tell you that Todd is a great speaker. So uh, he's if you can get some time with him, I would take advantage of it. So uh, Todd, thanks again. That was awesome. All right. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast. If you'd like to get more done in less time, join our exclusive community of entrepreneurs and visionaries, the Less Doing Labs. It's free and just for you. Go to lessdoinglabs.com slash more done.